Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Dear friends, we are so sorry about the ads. They are a nightmare in every way, but with your donations, we can get rid of ads someday. Beautiful, Kevin. Mm, thanks, Rob. Bach and Harnick are smiling <laughs> Eat so your big hearts right out. now. <laughs> friends, yes, we are back with a new plea. Much like those adorable puppets from Avenue Q, we are asking for you to give us your money. <laughs> for those of you who have headed over to Patreon to throw a little money our way, we thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. Your contributions are the only budget we have for this show and it provided us a new soundboard and better studio space. So, a thank you. Thank you. And as you know, nothing is more fulfilling than talking to the legends of Broadway and hearing them share their thoughts, wisdom, and talents with all of us. However, it does cost money. And if you want to help us keep the show going, please head over to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Search for Behind the Curtain, and you can give as little as a dollar a month. And trust me, that dollar will help us more than you will ever know. Plus, for certain monetary donations, you will get to pick your favorite thing and have advanced knowledge of our future guests so you can ask the legends your own questions. Or you can simply leave canned goods and an original cast recording of How Now Dow Jones outside our doors if you don't want to contribute on Patreon.com. Truth. So once again, please head over to Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com to help us out. Thanks. Thank you. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Broadway Curtain. And make sure to join our Facebook page at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. And follow us on Instagram at Broadway Curtain Podcast. Plus, you can always listen to our podcasts on Broadway World and Stitcher. Over 90 is a term that can be ascribed to our guest in two ways. One, it's the answer to how many musicals our guest has served on as a music coordinator. And two, it's the answer to how many years young he is. But you'd have no idea by spending more than a minute with him. That's so true. Our guest today is one of Broadway's most respected music coordinators. With his first Broadway credit in 1973, An Evening with Josephine Baker, soon it seemed like every major musical on Broadway followed, including Nine, Dreamgirls, Mystery of Edwin Drew, The Revivals of Anything Goes, and Guys and Dolls, and most recently, An American in Paris, my favorite musical, Violet, and Bright Star. If you've got, you know, a whole day, you can read his IBDB page. <laughs> Just go, go through it. To define the role of a music coordinator and to tell us what it was like to work with such legends as Julie Stein, Stephen Sondheim, Benny Goodman, Michael Bennett, Tommy Dorsey, and countless others, here is the Tony Award winning music coordinator at the legendary Seymour Red Press. Wow. Wow is right. <laughs> wow is right. Oh my gosh. Okay, a couple of corrections. We love yes, corrections. A couple of corrections. My first musical was in 19. 19- 57, not in 77. Yeah. Uh, I was not a contractor. I was a player right. in an orchestra. Oddly enough, that's the same year I got married. And that same year, at the end of the year, I uh, did my first show. It was called Body 
Beautiful. Body Beautiful, right. You've heard or of Bach, that show? Bach and Harnick. It was Bach one of their and, first shows. Well, you, you're pretty, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, it was their first musical. Uh, Body Beautiful, wow. Sheldon and I, that summer, before the show, were both working in a summer resort that did broad, that did shows. They had the, on the staff were uh, dancers, singers, right. choreographers. Was this in the Catskills? Not in the Catskills, okay. in the uh, Lake George oh, right. area. And that's where I met my wife. Huh. And um, they, they did... It was sort of, sort of like a uh, oh god not a not a book musical right like a review or something review yeah right and they had, we had a star as well but what happened was and I I don't believe I ever met Sheldon mm-hmm. although we were both there he he was the lyricist and names here we go with names. Annie. Uh, uh, Martin Charnin? Charles no. Strauss? Charles Strauss, Strauss yeah. wrote the music, and <laughs> they were there that season. I believe neither one had done a Broadway show. Right. They yeah. probably had written for reviews right. and stuff, but at the end of that year, we did Body Beautiful. The Body Beautiful was a prize fighter, not a sex object. Right, right. Yeah. Right, it was about a boxer. And right. uh, it was my first show. Uh, I had, I'm had i Jewish. I had married a wasp who had a son, and I spent my first Christmas in Philadelphia with my wife and, and, wow. and new son, new yeah. wife and new son. We bought a tree. And I was inducted into a different world. Okay. <laughs> the show, of course, was not a f- big hit. It was not a big it hit. It was not a big hit. And uh, we knew nothing. We heard an audience laugh and figured, well, I'm, I, right. I, I was, I was, up to that point, I was a big band musician. Right. And freelance uh, doing record dates here in New York. Right. Uh, except for when I was on the road for over a year traveling with road bands, uh, I had never worked for a full year straight in New York City, Uh right? And uh, that's why I moved into the theater, hoping to get, now that I was married, and now that I had a child, to get a, a steady job, right? So we had hoped that it would be a steady job, but it wasn't. But that was the beginning, and I became very busy as a sideman on Broadway. So at this time, were, did, did theaters have their own house band still? No. Every, the, every theater had what was called <laughs> four house men. Gotcha. Usually they were strings, and they would play with every show that came in. And uh, if, if the theater was closed, they were out of work. But right. but any show that came into the theater had to use those more. Okay. Consequently, they were mostly string players because yeah. that's the easiest to hide. And they had to hide a lot of them <laughs> because, they, they had, of course, politics enters. That's right, I've read that. And yeah. the union. And yes. the union yeah. Before the uh, disappearance of Housemen, I became a houseman by accident. Uh, I did a show called... All right, it was, again, Charles Strauss with Lauren Bacall. Applause. Applause. This is a fun game. Right, you're going to help me a lot. Oh, I love this game. This is great. You like that? (laughs) You like that? Good. Um, I took it on the road because yeah. uh, before then, most of the time shows did travel. Right. I'm, 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 I've jumped in. That's about okay. 19, we'll go, yeah, we're we, about we 1970 now. That's right. We don't go exactly in right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 
And I did the show on the road, and we went to two separate cities, I think Baltimore and Detroit, I think it was the second one. That's right. And when we came back to New York, we went into the Palace Theater. Mm -hmm. Well, as long as I'm on this, I'm going to give you some history, really history. Yes, My history. Yeah, right. please. Yeah. One of the house four, there were four housemen, three were strings, and one was a saxophone player. Mm -hmm. The saxophone player was the contractor in that theater and happened to be a very close friend of mine. And who we had played together as sidemen in, in different shows. We lived in Queens. We used to get together, play flute duets. Yeah. Uh, we had we met families, got together. His family, my family, and now he had gotten that job. Right. Right. So whenever he took off, he appointed me as his sub. Right. And ultimately, he quit there because he had gotten a, a job out at Westbury Theater, which was year-round, and felt that it was more secure right. there. With, and so I became a house <laughs> contractor. At the palace. Right? At the palace. Normally, that job is pays more money, and it's nice, but it is, you're not the contractor who hires the orchestras. Right. You do the payrolls, but the orchestras were hired by, let's call them producers, contractors. So it's a job that doesn't go very far, right. but you do earn more money at it, and it's, it's good. But the palace was different. The palace, when we didn't have a show, Acts came in. Right, because it's the palace. It's yeah. the palace. Yeah. If you remember, there's a whole big deal about I worked at the palace. That's right, yeah. Right. So when bands, orchestras, when an act came in, the producers at the palace, or general managers, actually, have to hire an orchestra. And they came to me, and I had never hired any, an orchestra for them. Said, can I do that? I don't want to go in. I did, I did get a Tony, by the way, and I, I made this speech at the Tony. Yeah. I hate to duplicate myself. It's okay. But the woman who ran it said to me, if you don't bring in a good orchestra, I'm going to kick you the fuck out of here. <laughs> okay. Wow. All right. <clears throat> so I did bring in a good orchestra, yeah. and they liked me, and I hired <clears throat> orchestras for them for the couple of years that I was there. And then she, whose name was Nell Nugent. Oh, yes. Producer, yeah. And and uh, what and the other woman. Nugent, Liz McCann. Liz McCann yeah. and Nell Nugent left their jobs. They were running the theaters for the Nederland organization. Right. They left, became independent producers, right. and started to bring stuff on Broadway That's right. and took me with them. Okay. So now I was a Broadway contractor. Now, if there was any other theater that I had been in, I don't know whether my career had, would ever have gotten. Because you met them and they took... Yeah. They met them. It's the palace, not not all the other theaters. Right. It's Nell Nugent leaving the palace, right. which was their my good luck right. for their good luck, <laughs> because they were very very successful. Yeah. And uh, I've had a relationship with uh, Liz McCann over the years because we we did stuff together. Nell sort of moved out of that. And I think she did movies and stuff, right. and occasionally I've seen her. But that's how I became a contractor. Wow. So if, if you wanted that history, you got I it. I love it. Thank you. You got it. That's fantastic. All right. And what a strong directive. Get me a fucking band. I know. <laughs> that's, 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 that's great. 
That lights a fire under you. So now we're going to jump back in time. Okay. Growing up in the Bronx. Yes. What was the first instrument you ever held? Saxophone. Why the saxophone? Why didn't you want to play alto sax? My father was a salesman, but he was a frustrated musician. Mm. Taught himself to play the piano and played it pretty well. I had a drum set, little drum set next to the radio. And when the bands would come on, he would play drums Whoa. with the band. You know. Wow. And he had a cousin who was a successful saxophone player. And I believe that is why one day he came with me and said, how would you like to play the saxophone? Oh, wow. And I said... This was in the era of Benny Goodman. Right. Yeah. You know, because I'm talking 1938, mm-hmm. right, in, in that area, 1939. Yeah. Um, he took me to, his, to the piano, and he said, he was che- checking my ear, right, before I played the saxophone, right? And he played a low note, and then he played a high note. He said, which is higher? <laughs> and that was his check, right? Which That's <laughs> complicated. That's great. All right. So at the beginning, we weren't rich. My, my father, as I said, was a salesman. Uh, we lived with my grandparents. Mm. So you, they didn't, couldn't even afford to have their own apartment. My, grandpa, my grandfather, oh, this is on my... Mother's, my mother's side, came from Russia. No, came from actually what was Poland, mm. but then it became Austro-Hungarian, and you know it, it changed a lot. He came here poor, got a job as a waiter. Owned his own restaurant, ultimately. Owned two apartment houses in the Bronx, aside from a home, a beautiful home for the Bronx. And the lost it all, except for the home, is where he lived, lost it all in the Depression. Wow. Okay. So my father not being rich, we lived on the second floor of their home, and they lived on the main floor, and the kitchen was on the main floor. Uh, did not immediately buy me, a, my father did not immediately buy me a saxophone. He wanted to see how I did. There was a school, 50 cents a lesson, that had their own saxophone. And you used to go in, I think I bought a mouthpiece. You'd go in and practice if you wanted to, at the store. And every day, I would come home from school, I would go to the store, (laughs) and I would practice, because I loved it. And particularly during that era when saxophones, with all the the big bands and the saxophones. You turn on the radio and you would hear that sound. Um, And when he saw that I was so attached, then he bought me a saxophone, (laughs) right? And also, started to get private teachers rather than my going to the 50 cent school. Um, when I was, soon after I started the saxophone, I would say two years maybe, we organized a band, a little band, three saxophones, one trumpet, bass, drums, and piano. Right? And in those days, there was music printed with copies of all the big bands' arrangements. Oh, like the charts. You could the just charts, oh, and you to... could buy, and they were maybe a dollar and a half. You could get music right. that, that all the latest tunes, the hot wow. tunes and everything. And the way they were orchestrated, you could play it with four people, you could play it with six people, you could play it with 10, right. 12, you, you know, 
You didn't need the three trumpets and the two trombones and the five saxophones. And so there were many, many young kid bands, right? right? And the music stands, the cardboard music stands you would buy. And we bought these little rests, little red vests and bow tie. And, <laughs> and we started to make money. Okay. You know, not a lot. Right. I think we got $3 a job. But you got to understand money in those days. My father, I think, was making $30 a week, you know. So if we did two, three jobs a week and we that had helped. $9, yeah. <laughs> and my parents let me keep the money. Oh, Never took oh. anything from me, which other people didn't have. Mm-hmm. So we had this little band, and I, I studied with a, who was supposedly the best teacher in the Bronx, which Stan Getz, you know that name? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was one of the... Other students with me. Was he a great trumpet player? No, he's no. a saxophone player. He's a jazz saxophone player. Okay. Yeah. Right. And uh, the war started in mm. 41. I was 16, I think, at that point. And uh, I knew I was going to get drafted. And sure enough, when I became 18, I knew I was going to get drafted, and I went into my saxophone teacher's mm. studio, and there was a sign on the board, do you want to play in an army band? Mm. Well, come on. I mean, first of all, it could save your life. Right. But second of all, it's, it's, it's something I would really love to yeah. do, right? And so I signed my name and got a call. We rehearsed. It was about, we had about 35 pieces and we played all the marches. Mm-hmm. We learned the marches. Um, should I go into this? Yeah. 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 It's fascinating. Okay. The fellow that was putting this band together was another 18-year-old, right? It so happened that his father was a podiatrist, and he was a podiatrist for the Rangers hockey team. (laughs) Before each game and after, he would examine their legs, examine their hands, and... The Rangers were at the Madison Square Garden, of course, and the president of the Madison Square Garden, who has been a colonel in World War I, was made a general in World War II, and he was leaving Madison Square Garden to a camp in Virginia where he was going to be in charge, actually two camps, and they needed a band. (laughs) And the podiatrist said to the general, I have a son who'll get you a good band, right? This 18-year-old, right? Who was like me in a different band right. 18 years yeah. ago, right? Only he was a terrible musician. He fronted the band, right? <laughs> But the general said, well, put a band together and I'll listen to it. Mm-hmm. And he did. Wow. And we went to the Madison Square Garden and we were in the Rangers dressing room which was big, all concrete. Mm -hmm. And picture a a band, a 30, 40-piece band (laughs) playing marches with with six trumpets and, you know. And we sounded glorious. Right, good acoustics. And they said, write your name and social security number on the back of your music, hand it in, and about three weeks later, I was in the Army. Just like that. In a band. In a band. Wow. Wow. Incredible. We went to Newport News, Virginia, which was a... Uh, they built ships there. Mm-hmm. And also, the, the troops going to Europe would take a train into, New, into the station and get on the boat. Wow. And so our band used to go out and play for them as they went on the boat. The general loved us kept us there for three years, despite whatever Washington said. Right. 
kept us there for three years, and when war was over, we went home. I went in an amateur saxophone player and came out a professional yeah. because I was with professionals. Right. And two months later, I was in Hollywood, California with a band, uh, going to the hotels, the pools that we had read about in the newspaper, <laughs> eating at the Brown Derby. I don't oh know if you gosh. know that name. Yes. It's, oh you know, having an affair with a <laughs> local <laughs> hat check girl. <laughs> and, and my life was changed. It was changed. And so I went through the minor bands first and then ended up, as you said at the beginning, with Tommy Dorsey and Benny Goodman. As I was coming here, I passed the theater on the corner where uh, Colbert, Stephen Colbert. Oh, yeah. I spent a year with Tommy Dorsey there. Every Saturday night, we had a show, uh, like an Ed Sullivan-type show. Yeah, like a review-type show. And every Saturday night, we had a show there. Then we would get into a bus and go to the Pennsylvania Hotel Cafe Rouge and play for dance music that night. And in the morning, we had a show on NBC radio. It was the highlight of my life. Were you playing in, it sounds like a bunch of different groups, or was it the same group of people that were all playing together? uh, Well, when I was with the Dorsey Orchestra or Benny Goodman, no, we were were an orchestra, yeah. My gosh. I, ha- I have to ask, what's it like being in a room with Tommy Dorsey? <laughs> Frightening. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he, he was tough. But uh, he was such a marvelous trombonist. He was so marvelous that you had to respect him. He had gone through a period of drunk drinking, mm-hmm. but that when I was with him, he didn't drink anymore. And uh, he demanded the best. But he was a little too much with his criticisms and things, little things would get him off. I remember one night we were in a hotel and we finished at one o'clock in the morning, you know, that was the job at that point. And he didn't let us leave. He said he had to have a rehearsal. The rehearsal was because he was mad at somebody right. in the orchestra. But he wanted everyone else to stay. And... and we all had to sit there, and he sat in the middle of the ballroom on a chair, and he would call out a number, and he would, one, two, three, and tap it off. And then we would play the number, and he would sit there and nod, his eyes almost closing. And then we'd finish that number, and then he'd, he'd hear the silence, and he'd call out another number. Oh. And he had us there for about an hour. That's crazy. And at the end of the, end of the hour, he p- purposely picked the thing that was very tough on the brass. Right? <laughs> and then we finished that, and he said, all right, good night, shit heels. And that was it. Wow. So he was a little bit strange, oh, no, yeah. a little bit too... Trumpian, yeah, <laughs> but uh, but he was a marvelous musician, and it was a great orchestra, mm. great orchestra. Was yeah. Benny Goodman the same way? No, Benny Goodman just lost in himself. He would, he just, you know, pick his nose on the stand, and but again, great, great, my idol. He was my idol. Oh, he would play, yeah. yeah, were you starstruck the first time you met him? By that time, it was too many years. Mm. I was, I felt when I was in high school and I had to write a letter to somebody, what about, I, I don't remember the exact thing. I wrote a letter to Benny Goodman trying to get a job. <laughs> and it was my life's ambition to work with Benny Goodman. Oh. And it was at this period, 1957, that I finally got to work with him and it was disappointing not after Tommy Dorsey because Tommy Dorsey had new music coming in all the time new orchestrations keeping up with where where we were the sound was with 
Benny, we just, we sat in a hotel and played the 1930s orchestrations, the same thing every night, mm -hmm. whereas with Tommy, it was different every right. night. It was a whole different thing. Am I glad I did it? Thrilled. I, I got my ambition. I lived out my ambition, but it wasn't what I thought it was <laughs> going to be. Okay. That happens sometimes, yeah, doesn't it? True. Um, when did you move back to New York from living in Los Angeles for so long? I never lived in Los Angeles. Oh, but you were playing there a lot. We just yeah. came in with a band and mm -hmm. played and then left. It was quite different being in bands. People may not understand now, the, especially the big bands, they were like rock stars. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, the band leaders married the Hollywood act, big Hollywood actresses, yeah. you know what I mean? It was yeah. like, the first band, I, when I got out of the army, the first band I was with was, you wouldn't know that name. It was Bobby Sherwood. We first job we went to was in Memphis, Tennessee, and the band came in. We were living in the same hotel that we were playing in, and I went down to breakfast in the morning, and the waitress showed me a picture of herself nude. I was a musician right. with a big band, right? And that's the way, I mean, we used to, I, I used to have to give autographs. That's amazing. Right? Yeah. You know. Because there was more <clears throat> venues for, for live music as well. I mean, well, like, not only any... that, when you turned on the radio, what you heard yeah. was big bands. That was the popular music. You, you yeah. turn on now, you know what you hear. Oh, yes. Right? Yeah, you're right. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Wild. I mean, you didn't hear Elvis Presley. Right. But then that changed to where the singers became more important than the bands. Yeah. Right? And then, of course, the music changed, the style right. of music. And uh, I, a, a music style that I thought would last my lifetime was gone. Mm. You know, it was gone. Yeah, it's... And, and did you... Did you realize that while it was happening that it was fading away, that oh, yeah. musical star? Yeah. You could see it as it oh, was happening. Sure. You realized that. Yeah. Yeah. While I was doing the every Saturday night with Tommy at the TV show that we did, right. our guest was Elvis Presley. Mm. Oh. It was the first time he was on television. Oh. It was our show. And I didn't know anything about him, but I was told, this guy is filling baseball parks. He's filling football stadiums mm -hmm. throughout the United States. And it was our doom. Yeah. 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 He was very nice. Too. Yeah. <laughs> he was? He was. Yeah. <laughs> How do you get into a room with Julie Stein and Stephen Sondheim? How do you get into Gypsy? When I did Gypsy, the original Gypsy, yeah. right, that you're talking about, I was still a player. I didn't get to have intimate relationships with the composers. Mm. They were frightening to me. They were above. I mean, when, when you think of who was in that room, you know, not only Julie Stein, but um, Chicago. 
what's it? John Kander. John Kander oh, right, was, the he was the dance arranger. Yeah, yeah. John, John Kander, Julie Stein, uh, Jerome Robbins Jerome was in the room. Robbins, think of them all. It it's frightening, but I was a player. You know, I was just you know. later. I met Julie Stein because I had did, done. And well, actually, except well, I have a story for you. Good. I did two or three shows with Julie. One, he was the director, started the director, and then they let him go. <laughs> I forget the name of that. I did Subways Are for Sleeping. Oh. Right? Which was not a very good show. <laughs> what I remember about that and Julie because he became friendly with the musicians and I was friendly, so it was on a different level. We spoke to each other, right? He said he had the secret of how to do a hit show in his back pocket. And of course, the show was a bomb. No. Right. That's the show that David Merrick found Different people with the same names. Yes, yes. That that stunt, that marketing stunt right. that's of the that's, of the that critics. Was, that was Subway's up for sleeping. That's that right. He did that, right. Same names as the critics, and then he had these simple people say what they thought of the show. Right. <laughs> that's right. Great, great. Walter you know. Kerr, love yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty brilliant when you think I about mean, it. Yeah. David Merrick, only he could do that. Um I'm going to ask you, you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but who are some of your favorite composers in the musical theater world? Who, who, whose music do you enjoy listening to the most? George Gershwin. Mm. Yeah. The yeah. best. And I'm doing, am I doing one now? No. Well, American in Paris. Oh, yeah. right. That's yeah. right. That yeah. must have been great. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not the last show I did. I, no, I'm involved right now, you know. Yeah, oh, yeah. You're doing Carousel right. now, right? Carousel, Hello, Dolly. Yeah. Chicago. Yeah. And on the road, I have American in Paris mm -hmm. and Bright Star. Bright great. Star. I love Bright Star. Yeah, I, love I do, Bright too. Star. That was yeah. really great. Wow. So I should probably ask you now, what does a music contractor do? What is the role of a music contractor for uh, our listeners? Okay. Well, I guess most importantly, he hires the orchestra. But he also has to deal with all finances that deal with the orchestra and the music department. Has to deal with renting, buying instruments, renting instruments. Has to deal with the rehearsal schedule. And most important, there are always issues that come up, contractual issues between management and the union. And you have to be completely aware of every little item in the contract and how to deal with, with problems, right? We... I don't want to talk about a union problems because the union president is a friend of mine. Oh, sure. So, but we just had a difference of opinion between what the show wanted to do and what the union wanted to charge. And it's part of my job to figure out how to protect management if I can. Right. And in this last, we have, we have had this problem going on and I solved it, you know. And that's what they hire me for, right. right, to solve it. So the guy who waves his arm is the, mu is the, the music. Everything else that, that has to do with the orchestra is me. Mm. What, do you enjoy the process of problem solving? Do you enjoy the process of negotiation? Very much. Yeah? Very much. <laughs> Coordinating all of these instruments is obviously a challenge. What is the most challenging assignment you've ever had? What What is the craziest? You want a what in the in the band? You, I need to find a what. All right. 
I may be sort of answering sideways. I love that. One of the first things I contracted for Nell Nugent was a play. And the play, the director wanted what he calls a tea house trio. Tea house trio were very popular, in, particularly in Europe. Mm. It was in a restaurant. There would be a violin, a cello, and a piano. Mm. Right. And still, we just made it. We made a trip to Russia last year, and one of the places that the boat took us to was a ba- some ballet dancers, and they had they still have it there in Europe, the Tea House Trio. But the director wanted one of the, and they're all women, three women. He wanted one to be very tall and thin. He wanted one to be very overweight and one to be very short. Okay. <laughs> All right. That that was a problem. And right. Then, and then I had another one with we did a for them play Sherlock Holmes. Oh yeah. He wanted me to hire a violinist that looked like what was his name? The actor was very tall and thin, and he had sort of a, not Jewish, but a hook, mm-hmm. a little, and I went crazy with that, and I went to Juilliard, I put things up on the board, I, and I would get small Japanese guys answering, and I, didn't, and I finally found a couple, and I brought them in for him to see, and he said, why do you always have these Jewish noses, right? <laughs> <laughs> so ultimately, we hired a tall, thin violinist, and they put a prop on his nose. Oh, that's <laughs> funny. Okay. okay. That's... But you like the challenges. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like it. And, and you know, I, I must admit it, I get paid. Yeah, well, yes. I mean... It's but nice you get, getting well, essentially, paid. it's you have two different jobs, right? You have you have your job when you're playing as a musician, right. and then you have this contracting business right. as a side. Right. I've quit playing. When you I, have when I was ninety, I quit playing because oh. I was with Chicago. Right, you were playing the original and I, I, revival and the original and the original. Uh, I never in a million years would have projected that Chicago would run as long as it ran. Yeah. Never. Yeah. So I kept saying to myself, year after year, when are you going to quit? When are you going to quit? And I kept saying, but I was always afraid of being bored. Mm. What am I going to do? I'll be bored. Mm. Well, I quit when I was 90. I haven't had a minute of boredom. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right. For the last four years, right? So, yeah. be, besides saxophone, what else do you play? Clarinet, flute, piccolo. You know, all the all the, pic, the flute instruments, mm-hmm. all, all the different clarinets, the different saxophones. Is sax still your favorite, though? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so, do you still play at home? No. Really? You just put it all away? I can't. Oh, I can't. It's it's too much. Because mm-hmm. when you play the saxophone, you got to find a read you have to it's it's too much yeah yeah, yeah. let me ask you um, you said you didn't think Chicago was going to run, run as long as it did was there ever a score that came across your desk that you thought to yourself oh my gosh this is going to be a huge hit this is going to oh, run I forever have a story. oh I great have a story okay I was hired to contract a show for Charles Charles Strauss called Annie Two Yes. Yes. Miss Hannigan's Revenge. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. Miss Hannigan's Revenge. And I went the first time I heard anything of the show was a Bacchus audition. 
the bankers audition, they get all these people with money, uh, people that have uh, contacts for groups, large groups, put them together and give them an idea of the show. And so it was Charles Strauss at the piano and the director, whose name you mentioned before. It's Martin Charnin. Martin Charnin, yeah. I think Martin told the story, and he may have sung, I'm not sure. Charles did that, and they went through it. I left that, and I called my wife. I said, it's going to be a giant hit. <laughs> giant. I said, because it's not only for kids. Grown-ups are going to love this. We went to Washington, D.C., to break in. I went to all the rehearsals. Throughout all the rehearsals, I'm saying to myself, this is a great show. The first night that audiences came in, I was sitting in the back of the theater, and I watched them walk out. Mm. Oh, wow. In throngs, not just four people, not just five people. Intermission, a lot of people. The show was like a satire. And audiences don't necessarily understand satire. And to them, this woman wants to kill Annie. Right. And they didn't see any humor. To me, I know she's not going to kill her, and I know that this is a show, and I know it's going to happen, and I see it for the human that it is, and that's why I thought grown-ups would understand it. No. Nobody understood it. We opened in Washington and closed in Washington, yeah. never came back to New York. Yeah. yeah. Then they rewrote it. Yeah. 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 And I did that, too. Oh, yeah. We were in a small theater in Second Avenue. That's right. And they recorded it and everything, yeah. I mean, yeah, then yeah. we recorded it yeah. as well. I don't think we asked you earlier, do you remember the first Broadway musical you ever saw? You know, when I was young, my mother used to take me to theater. Oh, yeah. But never musicals. She oh, what'd you see? plays. Oh, do you remember wow. any of the shows you saw with your mom? I think... One I saw, I don't remember the name of it, but I think Paul Muni was in it. Oh, my God. Yeah. A great actor. And he was a lawyer. I don't know. I, I think the first musical I ever saw was um, uh, Guys and Dolls. Oh, wow. And then later I did Guys and Dolls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that, is, are those those pinch me moments when you come full circle, when you do Guys and Dolls again, or... To go from Gypsy, the original, to then being the music coordinator for Gypsy and the Revival. Right. Was that a pinch me moment for you? Well, Gypsy is uh, odd that you say that because it's my favorite show. Oh, yeah. Is it really? Yeah. Did, yeah. did you know, even when you, that original, when you sat down for the first time to play those orchestrations, that you had something special, that this was yes. a special show? You could yes. tell right away. I mean, even that, the overture alone is yeah. just like. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I remember Julie Stein telling the trumpet player and they go, just stand up when you play that. Stand up. Well, that solo is insane in that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although, the revival I did had a sensational cast. Mm. And we didn't run that long. No, you didn't. Sensational. Every one of them. Mm -hmm. Top. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how have pits changed from when you first started out to... V very to much. Very much. When I started theater, there was a union regulation, and most of the large theaters were 25 musicians. They had to hire a 25 piece 25. Group. 25. Wow. 25-piece orchestra. They had to hire. And that's why those scores are so beautiful. Mm -hmm. uh, through negotiations, and once, once synthesizers 
world be able to use. And now it's beyond that that they have these where you can put the whole orchestration right. in electronically and you can change the tempo on it. You can, click. You, can yeah. you just yeah. can, yeah. you know. We've become, the musicians have become weak and you can't negotiate. It's difficulty negotiating. Because mm-hmm. we can be replaced. It happened at uh, Radio City. Right. Oh, yeah, when they got rid of live and it was all a click track, right? Right. And after that, the contract changed, right? Right. You know. So, from the 25, I think now, maybe the most is 15. Yeah. But more than that, that gave them the ability to move the pit down. All right. Did you ever see a movie of, of the old movies of a Broadway show? Oh, I love it. Yeah, they yeah. would show you the kid. They, they, you'd see the stage. And you would see the bass sticking up. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right? yes. Because... To hear the orchestra, we didn't use mics. There were no mics when I first started, right? And we were then. When I sat in the pit as a player, I could look up and see the stage. Right, you're almost in front of the stage. Yeah, yeah. you were in front of the stage, and you looked up, and you could see the stage. And you learned how to play softly, you know, and and orchestrations were written so so that you could hear the actors sing. And then you hired Ethel Merman kind of voices because you needed that big yeah, voice, yeah. right? Well, now they moved the pit down, pushed it, well, even if they didn't push it back, moved it down, mm-hmm. made it smaller. It's under the stage, basically, now. And under, yeah, yeah. right? And put more seats in the theater. And so the seats took the place of the band. Mm. That's where we are. Right. And and aren't there even some shows where like the drummer is in a different room? Oh yeah, yes. well, they've done that. Oh yeah, up to the whole orchestra being in right. a different room. Really? Yes. Definitely. That's got to be a mixing nightmare. Yes. I'm assuming. Right. But uh, they've learned to do it. Sound yeah. has learned to do it. But yes, many shows this they're divided. Strings are put in a separate room. And I think in in any in uh, American in Paris we had the percussionist right. yeah, in a different room. Right. Right. Luckily, for Carousel, we're in the Imperial, and that pit is still large. Yeah. And so I have twenty five people in the pit. You do. Yeah. Wow. How yeah. how long does it? Uh, a band rehearse before the first sits probe? A week. A week. Well, wait a minute. No, the sits probe is not a week. The band usually rehearses two days before the, before the sits probe. Oh, interesting. We do six hours each day, 12, and then the sits probe is in the afternoon. We hold three more in the morning, 15 hours, and then the sits probe. It's a week about a week or eight days before the first performance. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, interesting. Shows, Broadway shows, rehearse six weeks with the cast. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, well, there's always the pianist, but uh, sometimes there's a drum. Uh, certain odd shows, Dream Girls, there was a whole rhythm section. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but that's it, six weeks. I've been doing encores at City Center for 25 years. One week the cast rehearses, and then they come on that stage. They know the, they know the parts. They don't even look at a book yeah. anymore. They've learned the choreography. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's exciting. Yeah. 
Um, so do you just have a Rolodex of all the drummers in New York, all the <laughs> saxophonists? Uh, no, I have my list. You have your list. I don't have all. All would be very... De- I would love to have all, mm-hmm. but I don't. I have a list, large, quite large. But uh, there are always new people, because many times where you want's not available. Yeah. How do you find new people? It's it's simple. Subs are constantly coming into shows. Do you have to approve the sub? Usually, if I'm asked, I do. Usually, the conductor approves him. You know, because he's in close contact. I'm in Forest Hills. <laughs> With your bologna sandwich. Um, what is what do you look for out of a music director? What's what's the ideal collaboration between the music director and you as the music coordinator? I since I grew up as a sideman am very tolerant. Hmm. And I understand the problems of a sideman. I understand that these players who are depending on Broadway for a living never know how long a show is going to run. Um, Need their outside connections. Need to take off so that they keep their connections. And so I'm very tolerant. I expect that from a conductor. If I don't have it, I have to deal with it in some way, but it's not... Because I trust that the conductor knows how to do this, right? How to wave his arms. And I trust that he's a musician and knows what a good musician is and what a bad one is. And if they have suggestions to who they want, which they all do, I trust that if I know them, that I agree. If I don't, I'll bring it up. But the conductor's the boss in that case, Mm -hmm. right? But tolerance is what, and understanding is what I expect and want yeah. and enjoy working with. Yeah. How do you keep morale up amongst an orchestra or a band that's been doing it for so many, doing the same thing night after night after night? It's difficult. Difficult. Not only that, you don't want arguments within the group or whatever every yeah, night. It's toxic. Principally, I do think about personalities I, I'm very careful about in hiring mm. of personalities of not having people it's very rarely in fact I can only think of one time that I turned a conductor down mm. who wanted somebody who I knew is trouble otherwise I'm, I'm pretty good (laughs) I was going to tell you a story about after working for Julie Stein as a sideman for many years he late in life he he got a call to do Red Shoes yes oh yes infamous yes and the general manager wanted me to be the uh, contractor and mentioned my name to Julie he said, well, I knew him when he was a kid, which is ridiculous. <laughs> but at any rate, he said, but I, I don't know him as a contractor. I have to interview him. So the general manager came to me. They arranged the date. And the general manager and myself went to Julie's apartment, beautiful apartment on yes. Fifth Avenue. Oh, wow. And... I was welcomed at the door. We went into his study, which had a nine-foot grand, 
And he said hello to me, and he said hello to me. Now, I had prepared, I had seen the movie Red Shoes. I knew it was symphonic, uh, classical. So I said to myself, Julie doesn't know me that I know classical people, right? right? So I went to my, and I don't have a resume. Right. I think I'm the only person in the music business that doesn't have a resume. <laughs> I went through my past of, I worked with the ballet, New York City Ballet. I worked with the uh, record date with uh, Jules Levine and the oh, Opera yeah. Orchestra. I worked with the American Symphony. So that I know these players, to show them that I know these players. And also, I did movies. I contracted movies with 70-piece orchestras. Yeah. And not just Broadway, you know. He knows I know Broadway. That's what I'm thinking, right? So I have this all prepared, and I actually wrote up some stuff. And so he welcomes us. We go into his study. And, he, you know, pleasantries. And then he sits down at the piano and starts playing the songs from Red Shoes, right? Mm -hmm. And we listen. Well, of course, I'm listening to the songs. They sound like Julie Stein. They don't sound, but at any rate, I'm listening. He finishes playing, he gets up, and he walks over to me and he says, okay, you're hired. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Sounds like he just wanted to show off the songs. Yeah, just that easy. Yeah. Just that easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, that show didn't didn't go oh, the way. Oh God, there. it was terrible. <laughs> it was terrible. And we, yeah, the music department, the music department, we're sitting there at rehearsals, and we're listening to what's going on, and we're saying this is unbelievable, yeah. unbelievable, and then. The general manager who hired me is sitting in the theater on the other side, and I go with him. He says, this is going to be a giant hit. You know, there's a joke. I told it just yesterday to somebody, but it's an old joke. And it says, there are two secrets to how to have a hit Broadway show and nobody knows them. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's good. (laughs) So how does it feel to get a phone call and say congratulations for getting a Tony Award? That floored me. Yeah? That floored me. I never expected that. Uh... I didn't feel that they were aware of me on that level, Mm. right? I know I dealt with general managers, I dealt with composers, I dealt, but I I didn't know that the league had me on their list because there never was a uh, (coughs) coordinator that was given a reward, and since there hasn't been either, I don't think. Uh, it did floor me. And so we came to the affair, and there were four awards, and they saved me for the last. Is that the best or the worst? Yeah. <laughs> well, they saved Patty for the last, right? So <laughs> let's be honest about this. The other three also had something to do with the show that they were involved with then and the singers would come on and sing to the audience Mm -hmm. and sing a song to the audience right Patty come on first of all she said I don't want the mic right of course and then she didn't sing to the audience she sang to me oh wow and at last eight bars oh and they they did new lyrics to the bridge. Oh, right. They used the lyrics of Mr. Goldstone in the bridge where they different kind of stones. Different yeah. Kind, they were different kind of reds. <laughs> right? 
And then the last eight bars, she came off the stage, she came over to the table where I was sitting on, and we both finished the song together. Oh, oh that's wow. so sweet. I mean, it was, you talk about I mean, memories. As, as if about, getting the award is enough, and then you yeah. get to have that yeah. uh, experience. Personal, personal. Yeah. Well, it's a testament that shows the impact you had, you know, on her, too. Yeah. Well, we're, we're, despite the fact that I don't remember names, we're close. You're doing great, by the way. So we don't even remember our own names. Yeah. Some of the time. So I would be remiss not to ask you, where did the nickname Red come I had from? Bl- bl- flaming Red Ear. Did, uh, really? Yeah. That wasn't always great. <laughs> Good day, Mr. Thomas. Good day, Mr. Schneider. Well, it has happened. We finally hit over 100 iTunes reviews, and we would like to thank each and every person who took the time to do so. Huzzah! Now, (laughs) we want to climb those charts even faster, and that is where you lovely folks who have not yet rated us come in. The process is very simple. On your podcast app, tap the search tab, enter our name behind the curtain, Broadway's Living Legends, tap the search key, Tap our beautiful logo, tap the reviews, tap write a review, then tap your way into our hearts. <laughs> tap your troubles away. away. That's nice, Rob. Once you are there, you can rate us from one star to five stars. Think of one star as Hervé V. <laughs> Rob, how do you say this name? Hervé Villechelle. Oh, dear God, I walked right into that one. <laughs> Think of one star as Hervé Villechelle and Ema Sumac in Sideshow and five stars as front row seats to the opening night of Gypsy. <laughs> But they keep me. Yeah, they keep me for the first time. I thought that was pretty good. We want to get good reviews, Rob. We want to get good reviews. Excuse me, Arthur Lawrence. <laughs> Excuse me for trying to liven up our commercial ads a little bit. Eight minute long commercial. I, it's an infomercial at you this could, point. <laughs> I'm going to be like that lady that sells you the copper pots. Look at this. You can put 400 pounds of manure in it, and it slides right out. Then you can make an omelet. You got another line, Kevin. You got, you got I'm a- waiting for you to say, plus you can leave your comment. Let oh, us know if you're liking what guests are like. Plus you can leave a comment to let us know what you are liking, <laughs> what you're not liking at this point, <laughs> or what guests you'd like to hear next. So head on over to iTunes and let us know what you think of our little show. Speaking of little, I'll tell you a story about Charles Lawton later. Thanks, guys. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.